Good morning. Welcome to the Everyman live stream, and we appreciate you being part of the Everyman movement. My name is Jason Park. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Everyman, and we are happy that you are here. You are joining us in part four of our study titled The Road Man. If you were here last week, we talked about the concept of going off-road with God. Us as men, when we want to get somewhere, we want to get there as quickly as we can with the least amount of obstacles and complications. It's as if we pull out our phone and we type in an address and we have all these different options, the scenic route. Typically, we pick the fast route, the one that's going to get us there as quickly as possible, but it doesn't always work out that way, does it? And sometimes God calls us to take a different route. He takes us off-road. Maybe there's a little bit more hill climbing involved. There's more obstacles. There's more challenges involved because God has a plan for our life, and He's going to get us to where we need to get to, but He wants us to be strong enough and refined and purified when we do get there. This week, in part four of Roadman, the title is Encounters on the road. Because when we are on that road, we have encounters. We have encounters with other people. And it's so importantly for us to appreciate that these encounters are designed by God. They were ordained. They were created for us by God, as opposed to what? That they'd be arbitrary, that they would be random. And when we see these encounters to be ordained by God, we start to look out for them. We start to appreciate them. Perhaps you have been on the road of life that you're on. You had an encounter with somebody that perhaps at the time maybe seemed kind of coincidental, and it turned out to be this this amazing God-like moment. Maybe that's how you met one of your best friends. Maybe that's how you met your spouse in a moment that you never thought that you'd meet them. But those are those moments, those are those encounters that I'm talking about. I'll give you a real simple example. I was at a memorial service a few months ago, and there was a reception afterwards. And there's quite a few people that I knew at this memorial, and there were some people that I didn't know. And I walk up to this small group of people. There's three people. Two people that I knew and one person that I didn't. And we chatted for a couple of minutes and the two people that I knew, they kind of stepped away and were having another com- another conversation, which leaves me and this other lady to be there. We don't know each other. So probably the natural thing for us to do is kind of find a, an out and an exit for this conversation and go visit with somebody maybe we did know. But that didn't happen. There was something that kind of kept us chatting and, and I was aware of that in the moment. And as I talked to her for a couple of minutes, there was something about her. I felt like she was just was very direct, had ability to be just very honest in the moment. And I said to her, so what's up with you? What's going on with you? And I think that caught her off guard just a little bit. And she started sharing with me. And over the course of the next few minutes, she shared some, some a massive amount of challenges in her life. Some, some things that, that had happened to her, um, but also that resulted in maybe some decisions that she wasn't proud of. And so she was sharing with me that she had been kind of coming off of this being off-road with God, if you will. And she was telling me how that, you know, um, to kind of quote her, she says, well, you know, I've really learned to get better at giving grace and, and forgiving people. And, and I heard what she was saying, but there was something about what she was saying. It just didn't sound quite right. And so I asked her, I said, so what about you? And she looks to me strange. She said, what do you mean? I said, what about you? You're giving forgiveness to other people. Are you experiencing forgiveness? Are you, are you experiencing God's forgiveness of your life? for your life, for the things that you've done? Are you, are you forgiving yourself? And then all of a sudden she started crying. And 
we continued this great conversation. We both got blessed in this conversation. At the end of that, she shared with me something. She said, you know, I didn't want to come here today. And I prayed that I would come here and I would talk to somebody that would give me confirmation that this was the right place that I needed to be. I've continued to talk to this lady and provide, you know, whatever kind of support I can and 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 to, to build into her. But that wouldn't have happened if I wouldn't have paid close attention, if she wouldn't have paid close attention, because we both got blessed by that encounter. We need to look at encounters that even though that they're little, that they have a big impact in our life and they have big opportunities for us to live out our faith. First passage we're gonna reference today is 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 23. So if you haven't already, you can upload the notes from the Facebook page or the Everyman website. A great opportunity for you to jot notes as you're going along. I'll give you some fill-ins. And what I love to do is fold that up, put it in my Bible, and perhaps later there might be an encounter I need in the Word of God. And those notes will help me to remind me from what I learned today. So 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 23, Paul says, though I am free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to, the, to win the Jews. To those who are under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. Most important sentence in the entire passage here, it says, I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessing. Paul knew his goal. His goal was what? His goal was to win as many as possible. Paul knew how he was going to do that. He was going to become all things to all people. And he knew the why. He knew the why. And the why was for the sake of the gospel. When we know what our goal is, we know how to accomplish our goal. And lastly, most importantly, we know the why it puts us, just like Paul, in the right mindset. Paul says, I'm going to be all things to all people. He's going to move around from place to place. He's going to travel by foot. He's going to travel by boat. He's going to encounter all kinds of people. And I'm going to enter into the space that they're in because I know it's for the sake of the gospel. And we have to have the right mindset. When we're on this road that we're on, and when we can do, the most important thing is understand that these encounters are ordained by God, that they're not random, we have the right mindset. We start to see things differently. We start to pay attention differently. I have four fill-ins for you with regards to having the right mindset for the encounters that we're on, the encounters that are on this road. The first one is every person I encounter is a God encounter. It's not a coincidence. It's not random. It's not arbitrary. It's a God encounter. Now you can treat it as an accident or a coincidence or random and not pay attention to it. It's exactly what the devil wants you to do, but it is a God encounter. And how differently do we look at situations when you realize I might walk into this next conversation and have a God encounter that's going to change my life, that it's going to change somebody else's life. And how differently would we enter into that conversation? When you walk into the coffee shop to get your coffee today, 
you're gonna have an encounter. That's not a random, that's not a coincidence. You have the opportunity to live out the best you can in that moment. Now perhaps it's just you share just a fraction of a moment of a love of Jesus, but the opposite is what, of that is what? You don't make eye contact, you don't have a conversation, you don't do any of that, and then we miss out on that opportunity. But every encounter we have is a God encounter. Secondly, every situation I am in with others is a God situation. That, that situation that God put you in, whatever that is, however insignificant that is, that is a situation God put you there. It is designed for you to be there. You think of God's creation, you look at all the amazing thing that, God's did, that God did, whether it's from the mountains to the sea, or it's just a leaf that's lying on the ground. It's all part of God's plan. The same thing is true for our life. That situation that you're in, is it, is it a meeting? Is it the weekly meeting that's at the same day at the same time? Is it the coffee shop that you walk in at the same day at the same time and it's the same person making your coffee? That situation that you were in is a God situation. And we are to, to have that mindset that God put us there for a reason. Put us there for a reason so that we can do like Paul did. I do this for the sake of the gospel. Third, every means possible can be used to influence them for God. Every means possible can be used to influence people for God. Paul said, I'm going to be all things to all people. To the Jew, I'm going to be a Jew. To the Gentile, I'm going to be a Gentile. I'm going to enter into their space and, and have a conversation with them and, and, and deal with them in a way that they are comfortable with. That, that I can have a conversation. I'm going to be all things to all people. I'm going to be open to everybody. Because why? He knew his goal and he knew his why. He knew it was for the sake of the gospel. And it can be the most insignificant situation. Look at the one I described for my, my friend Renee. We didn't know each other. We're at a memorial service. We happen to have a conversation. We happen to be willing to commit just a couple of moments to one another to pay attention to what's going on in our lives. And what happens? We get blessed. We get blessed. We grow in our faith. Um, and you know that allows us to experience God's love and experience the amazing things that God has in store for us. Lastly, every action I take for God comes back to me eternally. Why did Paul do what he did? Because he knew how important this mission he was. He knew that he had something that had to be shared with others. You know, Paul converted on the road to Damascus, right? He had a relationship with Christ. And from that point forward, he was going to experience eternal life. That was not enough for Paul. Paul knew that he had work to do, that he had challenges he was going to face, and he knew why. It was for the sake of the gospel. So another passage that I want to reference here is further along in 1 Corinthians. And we're continuing to, to look at kind of Paul's focus and his, his, his mindset. And when we're on this road that we're on and we have the right mindset, we can walk into these situations, these encounters, and appreciate that these encounters that we have are designed by God. So continue on to 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. He says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. 
Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not box like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it a slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself do not, I will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul says, I will not be disqualified for the prize, which is going to require strict training. What is that strict training for? Strict training is for a crown that will last forever. Paul had clear intentions. He had clear intentions. He knew his goals, and his goal was the prize. More importantly, he knew he had a correct definition of what that prize is. When we understand what, what we're focused on, when we can kind of visualize what that prize is, we prioritize differently. We, we, we look at things differently, and we'll go right into our first fill-in here as it pertains. When Paul says, run your, way, your race in such a way, and one of the ways that he recommends is running your ways in such a way means, your next fill-in here is seeing people as the prize. Paul knew what the prize was. And Paul knowing what the prize was allows him to prioritize differently. If people are the prize, it's okay to suffer for Paul. If people are the prize, it's, it's okay to be willing um, to, to, to be arrested, to be, to be tortured in the manner of which he was. It was all worth it because people were his prize. And when you understand what, what your prize is, you set your, prioritize, your priorities differently. Um, I've shared in previous teachings here, some of my law enforcement experience, if you don't know this, I've been a police officer for 27 years. I've spent about 13 years on the SWAT team. And we would train on the SWAT team for hostage-related types of incidents. Some of the most complicated, some of the most dangerous when you're dealing with somebody that was holding somebody hostage. And I don't know whoever came up with this, but in training, um, we would refer to as the hostage is the prize. And it sounds kind of strange to even say it now, but we knew what the prize was. The prize was the hostage. It was saving that innocent person that was taken by somebody that would potentially harm them. And we'd make all of our decisions based on the prize and saving the prize and rescuing the prize. We would do things a little bit more dangerously than we would because it was for the prize. We would introduce specific resources in the, to that incident because it was about the prize. When we understand what our prize is now and that our prize is people, and when we come around people, we're going to see them differently. We're going to see that these encounters that seem in the moment potentially insignificant, we're going to remind ourselves this, this moment was ordained by God. Maybe this moment was me about sharing my faith. Maybe this moment was me about showing, sharing some support. Maybe this moment was about demonstrating um, that I could provide for a need. But we understand what the prize is. Secondly, Running the race in such a way, as Paul's described, means seeing people eternally creates the crown. Seeing people eternally creates the crown. In verse um, 24, he mentions that the athlete does it for a crown that doesn't last forever. In verse 25, he says, we do it to get a crown that will last forever. At the end of 2 Timothy when Paul is writing one of the last letters that he would write, that he's in prison, he says the words to Timothy, now that is in store for me, the crown of righteousness. This prize, this crown, the result of the people that was, that was being saved, for Paul was it about an eternal reward. 
It was, it was a crown of righteousness, a crown of life, a, a reward that was offered in eternity for us and not one like the athlete runs for a prize that doesn't last forever. So it means seeing people as the prize. It means seeing people eternally creates the crown. And then third, it means disciplining myself to prevent disqualification. That last sentence in that passage, Paul says, I myself will not be disqualified from the prize. Previous to that, Paul is showing what the qualifications mean. Qualifications mean strict training. Qualification means not just running around aimlessly or like a boxer boxing into the air. It means training my body appropriately, challenging me appropriately so I have the right mindset, the right focus. Because Paul says, if I do that, I get disqualified. You know, just like the athlete, there's rules. There's rules to keep from being disqualified. Paul is demonstrating this, this rules that we have for us and how we should be living out our faith. And like Paul is, there's a concern that he would be disqualified. And the same thing is true for us. That's how we should be living out our faith. So we have these encounters of the road that we're on. And, and at the time, they seem small and insignificant. But these small, insignificant things have, have masting, massive and, and, and lasting impact. So, so important for us to have the right mindset. I'm going to refer to three different passages, three different encounters in the Bible. And along that, we're going to mention three different ways to be God's man and three different mindsets associated with each of them. The first is out of Luke 10, 25 to 37. So I'll read that and it'll be show, show up on your screen or if you have your Bible in front of you. Probably my favorite story from the Bible, probably my favorite um, parable that, that Jesus would give um, on, his, um, on his three years of teaching from Luke 10, 25 to 37. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, have you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In, re in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he had, was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest came and happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and he saw him, he passed to the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was and he saw him. He took pity on him. He went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for extra expenses you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hand of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. This is a great story, and like Jesus has this amazing ability to do is to capture the moment. We could camp out here for the next hour 
So if you have some time, I encourage you to go back to this story. If you have a study Bible, if you have access to a commentary, it's just an amazing story. And the best part about this is it almost starts out like a joke, right? A priest and a Levite and a Samaritan are walking down the street. But in each of these stories is designed for us to learn from. But what we want to do is who do we want to be in the story, in the fill, and it's kind of an easy answer, is be the neighbor, be the neighbor. You know, you have these three people walking down the street and invariably there was, there was more than that. You have the priest and the Levite that come by, they see the man who's been injured and they walk to the other side of the street. Um, there's been some assumption as to why that occurred, but for whatever reason, what was going on with him was, was less important than what was going on with them. And um, this was just too much of an inconvenience for them. And, and perhaps they used their, their role in the church or as, a, as, a, as a, an excuse. We don't know that. There was probably other people that walked by too. Um, they, they just didn't have time. They're on their way to work. Or you know, perhaps others walked by and they said, well, whatever happened to him, he probably had coming to him. The Samaritan doesn't overcomplicate it like the priest and the Levite and perhaps everybody else. It's pretty simple. He's walking down a road. He sees somebody in help. He throws him on a donkey and he takes him to get him help. You know, there, there are times in life, we talk about this road that we're on, that, that we come across things. And everything that we come across, we have the opportunity to overthink it, to overprocess it like it, like it did. But when we have the right mindset, allows us to, to, to work through those encounters more appropriately. So the key mindset with regards to being the neighbor is God wants to use me to meet the need in front of me. He wants to use me to meet the need in front of me. Um, the, the Samaritan man was just traveling on a road from Jericho to Jerusalem. Perhaps he'd made the journey many times. This was likely a kind of a main thoroughfare that people moved about. This was a normal place for him to be, but this, on this particular case, there was a need that was, that was put in front of him. And we don't have to travel far to do that. You don't have to go on a mission to be a missionary. You, you can do that just on the roads that we travel on. But having that key mindset to just use the stuff that's in front of me and, and to just not overcomplicate it. And to remember, once again, this moment, this encounter that I'm having has the opportunity to be very powerful because we could be just like the priest and the Levite. We could walk to the other side of the street or we could perhaps like the other people just step over this person that's in need because, you know, it's just a little bit too much of an inconvenience. So the second way for God's man to be is we need to be ready to break some rules, ready to break some rules, ready to do things just a little bit different, ready to do things counter to what is normal around us. And now we move into John chapter four, verses one through 26. And this is the great story about Jesus and the woman at the well. Beginning of verse one, it reads, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not who baptized but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had gone through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. 
Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. She, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who asked for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw and that well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than the, our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up in eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here and draw water. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. In fact, you have five husbands and the man you have now is now not your husband. But what you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews came to the place where we must worship in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, Be, believe me, a time is coming when you'll worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans will worship what you do not know. We worship what we do not know, for salvation is for the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and now it has come true. The worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshipers must worship in truth and Spirit. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When He comes, He will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I the one you are speaking to, am he. Now, long passage, but a very important moment where Jesus represented the necessity to go against the grain, to break some rules. And just some of the rules that you can see that get broken here. First of all, a man historically at the time wouldn't be speaking to a woman in public. It wasn't something culturally that was accepted. And additionally, uh, a Jewish person wouldn't be speaking to a Samaritan because they didn't get along either, not at all. Um, some other layers to this, um, a Jewish man would definitely not be speaking to a, a Samaritan woman. And, and also men and women typically didn't discuss theological issues. Those were something that were, were meant for men to discuss. And then the one kind of key component to this is this woman, and she was there at the hottest time of the day, a time of day where you typically wouldn't go and draw water, and she was by herself. Historically, it would be a chore that the women would be responsible for, and for her to be by herself, the likely assumption is because, you know, she's had five or six husbands and has probably been ostracized by the other woman. So Jesus broke these rules. He did something that was he was willing to do that was that was against culture. But as as a result from this, what happens is she goes back and is probably one of the most multiplying disciples in the area. And she goes back and she takes the gospel into Samaria, um, which would, would, would produce 
great fruit. But that didn't, I said great fruit, by the way, not grapefruit. And that was a result of, of Jesus and having the key mindset. And here's your next fill in here's God wants me to choose Christ over culture. There's certain things culturally that are more accepted than others. But we need to do our best, just like Jesus did, because look what he was willing to do. He got to this woman because he went to speak to her. She is saying to me, hey, you shouldn't be talking to me right now. And he's willing to talk to her. He's willing to, to kind of go against culture. And, and this results in this conversation, this encounter for Jesus to have, which really was just him getting a drink of water. That's all this could have been, just him getting a drink of water, but it was so much more than that. Because what happens is that encounter results in her going back and her living out her faith and creating other believers and becoming a disciple herself. But that doesn't happen if Jesus just kind of obeys the laws of the culture. This this is played out so well in the movie, The Chosen. And actually at the end of this conversation, the disciples are coming back having after having gotten food and they kind of see what has happened here. And even the looks on their face, they think this is a stra little strange because this is not necessarily culturally accepted. So a second way for God's man to be is to be willing to change your plan for God's in the moment. To be willing to change our plan for, for God's plan in the moment. To be willing to pivot in that moment because we feel ourselves being directed by God. Here we are in the book of Acts in chapter 8, verses 26 to 34, um, when we catch up with, uh, with Philip and what he's doing. So it reads this, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south on the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Philip's a great example of someone who's, who is just kind of an ordinary man who's listening to the Holy Spirit and he's willing to pivot. If you go back to the previous verses, you read about all the amazing things that Paul is doing, or I'm sorry, that Philip is doing in Samaria. And he's gone there, um, and he's literally part of this, this massive revival where he's sharing Christ, he's preaching to people, people are getting baptized, and, and he's doing miracles. But he leaves from that. He leaves from this revival. Why? Because an angel comes to him, the Holy Spirit comes to him and whispers to him and says, I need you to go down. 
this road and I need you to, to go down this road. He is essentially like we were talking about last week. God says, hey man, I need you to go off road for just a, a little bit because there's some work for you to do. And his ability to kind of pay attention to that and leave something. Imagine um, the, the conflict he would have felt about leaving this. He's clearly doing God's work. He's doing amazing works by God, but God says to him, I have other work for you to do. And he says, I need for you to go. And then he comes across this eunuch. The key mindset with regards to this is God wants me to be listening and responding to the Holy Spirit. Listening and responding to the Holy Spirit. Because once again, he could have stayed in Samaria, but look what this, look what this encounter meant, the possibility of him um, witnessing to a eunuch that was, that was even from a further part of town, just like the Samaritan woman when Jesus went deeper into Samaria and spread the love of Christ. This eunuch was potentially going to do the same thing. But look at how this plays out. The Spirit tells Philip, I just need you to walk along this road. So here he is. He's going to have an encounter on the road that he's on, and he sees this man sitting in this chariot. And then he listens again, and the Spirit says, go to the chariot and stand near it. And I love in verse 30, when Philip hears this, he doesn't just walk over there. It says he ran over there. So he's along this road. He sees this man sitting in this chariot, and he's just going to go stand over there. And what does he see? He sees and he hears this man reading from the book of Isaiah, something that he's very familiar with. Like Paul said, I'm going to be all things to all people. I'm going to enter into the space that's comfortable with him by way of relationship. Philip walks up. He sees something that he has in common with this man. He says, hey, man, what are you reading? So he says, I don't know what I'm reading. I need somebody to explain it to me. So he comes up there and he sits next to him and he enters into a relationship. He's all things to all people in the moment, but it just starts with him being on the road and listening to the Holy Spirit. And what would happen once again is he would witness to this eunuch, a powerful eunuch that had influence where he was from. And he was going to go into Ethiopia and continue to spread the gospel as a result of this, what would appear to be a very simple encounter. It wasn't a simple encounter. It was a God-like encounter. All day we have these situations where we can be all things to all people and say, hey man, hey, what are you reading? What are you doing? And we can have and be led by the Holy Spirit and, and to not overcomplicate it. God wants to use us. He wants to use us like Philip. He wants to use us just like his son Jesus in the example that he gave. He wants to use us like Paul. He wants to enter into these encounters and, and to be productive in, within the family of God. 2 Timothy 2, 20, 21 says, in a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some are for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. In a large house is referring to the church. He says, there's things in this large house, there's things in the church that are used that are like fine china, right? And there's, there's other receptacles in the house that are like trash cans. Some are for use for special purposes and some are used for take out, taking out the trash, right? God wants to use us for special purpose, wants us to be cleansed, 
right? Cleansed by the blood of the lamb, cleansed every day by the way we spend time in God's word and spend time in prayer so that, that we can do the work that we're called to do, that we could be used for special purposes, not just common purposes. This last fill in here says, I must be cleansed by God to be used by God. I must be cleansed by God to be used by God. God uses use special articles in his house to carry out special purposes, right? And those were designed to do that. And we need to be cleansed by God to be used by God because God uses holy things for holy purposes. He uses perfect things for perfect purposes. He uses righteous things for righteous uses, for righteousness. And that's the way we were designed, but we were designed to be cleansed. And when it comes to be cleansed by God, yes, it, it starts with just like Paul on the road to Damascus is entering into a relationship with Jesus, but it, it continues every day. It continues that we agree with ourselves and with God that we're going to travel along this road, that we're going to enter into a space every day that we're going to grow in our faith. We're going to enter into a space with Christ and we're going to live out our faith with clear intentions. But it starts with us being cleansed by God. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We might become the righteousness of God. When we are on these encounters, we are the hands and feet of Jesus. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. We are living as Jesus lived. And it's in those moments Here's the best part about those encounters is we are closer to Jesus than we could ever be. When we are, when we are the hands and feet of Jesus, literally we are closest to him that we could ever be. And what, a, what an amazing opportunity we have for to look at these situations, these encounters as something that God had a plan for. And this little encounter has, has a massive impact. One last passage for you here in 1 John six to nine. It says, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This is a great passage here in 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And when we are purified, when, when we ask for forgiveness of our sins, that's our starting point to continue it, to live out our faith. So I challenge you, I challenge you today, so when you walk into that coffee shop, you walk into that meeting, just pay just a little closer attention. Because perhaps there's an encounter for you today. There's an encounter for you today that might seem insignificant. Perhaps it might be like my, me and my friend Renee now that will change the landscape of that person's life. Maybe that encounter is going to result in somebody having everlasting life. And remember what that means to you. When you understand what the prize is, you, like Paul, can appreciate that the prize results in a crown, a crown of righteousness, a crown that's meant for you, a crown that lasts forever. So walk into that counter with the right mindset and the right focus so that you can be purified and share righteousness with others. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you. 
for your examples, your many examples in the word for us to live out. I pray for us that are on this road, that we'd be attentive to what's going on around us and we would see every encounter as a moment that was designed by you, every situation that was designed by you, Lord, and that we keep an eye on the prize and the prize is about people. The prize is about people in an eternal world. We thank you today for those encounters in advance and we love you and all God's men said, amen. Thanks for being here. We'll see you again soon.